So my name is Kat Houghton. Um, I am a psychologist by background. I spent 15 years working with kids with autism and their family. Um, started a company in digital health, which is sort of my main source of what I do. And so for the past four years, I've really been involved since Standing Rock, um, have been involved in, in the push here locally. We're in Asheville, North Carolina, up in the mountains here, um, to get 100% renewable energy in our city and work on the, the idea of local self-governance, giving cities and counties the kind of decision-making power that they really need to protect the places where we live. What's it like to integrate that very radical re-envisioning into what is just a a lot of other grassroots activism? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you see it as radical, and I've heard that before. And and in terms of our Western perspective and our legal system, yes, it is. But the rights of nature is really tapping into a much more ancient worldview, uh, one that we, we all used to, to engage in, you know, this idea that the, that the world is sentient, that we are part of a living web of life, that humans are not separate from the rest of the, the more than human world. And so from that perspective, it's obvious, right, that the, the natural world would have rights in the way that humans have been given rights. But because our Western um, worldview, our Western culture has gotten so far from that understanding of how humans fit in to, to the web of life, that it seems like this very, it, it upends all these assumptions that we have made historically over time and are now fully bought into, like the idea that the natural world is property. Like we don't even question that anymore, that we can own a piece of the natural world and we write a piece of paper and we agree between us, okay, now I own this piece, this chunk of land. And that basically gives me the right to do whatever I want on that piece of land. And we don't, we don't question that. Um, so I think that this, this is radical in that it terms of that it is changing the way we have to think about our place on the planet as a species. In the past few years, we've seen an acceleration in the uh, struggle for and impl- implementation of recognition of these rights. Why do you think the situation is, or why do you think that's accelerating the way the way it has been in the past several years? I think there's a lot of different factors at play. Um, I think one is just necessity of like we're just like desperately searching for how can we protect our planet from from the corporate destroying machine, and this is one avenue that's had su- success in in various different parts of the world. Um, so I think that that's part of it. I think also, you know, so when Ecuador wrote the rights of nature into their national constitution, that was 2009. Um, I think that made a huge waves and in, in kind of establishing the credibility of this approach. And since then, there has been a lot of success, some success in Ecuador in, in terms of being able to protect um, different parts of the country. I also think that that, as we were talking about that more indigenous worldview, that more connected worldview is becoming more prevalent in the Western consciousness, that more people are subscribing to that or wanting to lean towards that, that understanding of the world. And so the giving legal rights to natural ecosystems is starting to make more sense. And I think also we're moving into more systems-based thinking slowly, slowly, that we're getting just again in our consciousness, this bigger understanding of like of entire systems, not just looking at pieces of systems, which the Western scientific world has been very good at since we started doing the whole reductionism thing. We're getting back more to now systems thinking and and, and kind of comprehending, you can't just protect one tree, right? We have to protect the entire system that 
is that that tree is part of, including everything from the mycelium to the way the water is falling in that particular ecosystem. So I think all of those things are, are playing into this becoming something that makes more sense to people. In your TED talk, you do this, what I think is a really effective strategy of asking people to envision and kind of ask themselves whether they think that that tree in their yard belongs to them. What kind of answers do you get when you ask that question? Or do you see something go off in people's uh, eyes about, about that question? Yes, I usually get this look that says, Oh, my God, I'd never even thought about that. But that's usually the response It's like, I hadn't even considered that that tree was really some other entity in its own right. And it wasn't just part of my property. So it, it starts, that question just starts to change the, just shift that that worldview, that that understanding that we've grown up with, that we've been taught that the natural world is is essentially just a resource for human extraction. Um, and to, to start to really consider, wow, there might be more to this than that, that we may not be the top of this this peak here and in terms of a species hierarchy, but we're just another member of the community. So rights are legal constructs and they're tools and they work uh, sometimes um, like any other tools. As far as you know, in some of these uh, individual instances where they're being written into legal uh, regimes, how are they working and how, what, what, what is working to you? Uh, what does that mean? So they're, I mean, they're certainly working. We talked about Ecuador, also Colombia, Bolivia. Colombia recently, in the last couple of years, gave rights to the, the part of the Amazon rainforest that, that is in, within their jurisdiction. Um, and certainly in Ecuador, I know there, as I said, there have been lawsuits now. So citizens now have the ability to bring a lawsuit against any company that's, that seem to be polluting or, or destructing an ecosystem. And some of those lawsuits have been won in Ecuador, which means that the, the corporations have to stop whatever it is that they're doing or suddenly change what they're doing. Um, it's still relatively new. So the, the long-term impacts of that, we don't know. Lake Erie for a few months there had legal rights. And then the court came in and overturned that saying that it was beyond the reach of the of the city of Toledo. It was beyond their constitution. They couldn't do that. And something about the language being too vague, they <laughs> came up with. Um, so it's definitely been much more of a fight in the United States because it, it really pushes up against some core assumptions uh, that our, our legal system and also our culture hold on to. Surely even kind of opening that Overton window, though, is, is something uh, so that even in defeat, uh, Many, many people then see the possibility, including, uh, you know, including people in the system seeing that possibility as well as citizens groups and such. So even a even in defeat, something happens just because oh, that category has been brought into the, the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's where we're at. That's the stage we're at in this movement is, is really helping raising awareness for people to understand that this is even a concept and that we could even think in this way, never mind write that into our legal system. How, uh, how were these, I, I'm sure that this, this answer varies across jurisdictions, um, but what political strategies have you seen as being successful in, uh, in winning these things? Um, and I know that the, the role of, of legal advocacy groups is, is really important, but I also know that 
systems change in different ways, uh, you know, in different contexts. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of two main strategies that I've seen. So we work with an organization called CELDEF, the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, who are a group of environmental lawyers out of um, Pennsylvania. And they, they've been spearheading this whole movement in the United States, the rights of nature and also community rights, like local self-governance for cities and counties. Um, since the early 90s, they, they founded and have been working tirelessly to, to bring the, this kind of legislation. So not just rights of nature, but also community bills of rights, which gives communities rights. Um, for, for decades now. So, so there, there are guidance on this. They wrote our community bill of rights that we've been working with in Asheville here. Um, but from what, listening to them and, and all the other communities that they work with and, and seeing what's going on in, in the US, I've seen two, two core strategies. Um, and it depends on the, the, the state you're in as to which one's gonna be most effective. Um, one is to go directly to your city councilors or county commissioners or whatever they're called in your state and basically try to convince them to pass this thing, which has happened. So in, in Pittsburgh, this was probably 10 years ago now when they were facing fracking, they were literally companies trying to frack gas within the city limits of P Pittsburgh. And the citizens were like, no, <laughs> that they, they threw a bunch of direct action. Basically, they just showed up to city council meetings week after week after week, just like getting as many people as they can there. Eventually got a unanimous vote, all nine of the city councillors passed a community bill of rights, which banned fracking within the within the city of Pittsburgh, which still stands today and has been incredibly effective and stopped it in its tracks. So, so that's one way is to convince your, your city or county to pass it. And that doesn't usually mean just like inviting them for lunch and having a nice chat. It, it usually means like a lot of getting a lot of people to show up over and over again and, and create pressure. That's one route. What I believe they did in Toledo and what we're doing here in Asheville is a citizen-led ballot initiative. So there's a mechanism here in our city charter that says that we can, as citizens, we can propose a, a, an ordinance to go on the ballot. And we have to get a certain number of signatures, a certain percentage of the registered voters. And if we do that, then we can put it on the ballot and then people can vote on it. Now, the advantage of that for us, and again, it may be different in whatever city or, or county other people may be in, but the advantage of that for us is that then it, the wording cannot be changed. So once it's passed through a ballot initiative, the city councillors can't come in and like just and rewrite it and be like, oh, we'll just take that this whole section. <laughs> we'll just rewrite this. It has to stand as it is, which is what happened in Toledo, which then obviously doesn't mean that the court can't come along later and, and overturn it. And then they just start again. <laughs> So it's a lot. It's a lot of um, public pressure, essentially. Well, what can people anticipate learning and experiencing in tomorrow's workshop? And uh, I imagine you are doing other workshops like this uh, uh, along along these lines as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, the rights of nature one that we're doing tomorrow is is really focused on. It's going to depend on who's there and where they've come from and sort of what questions they have. Um, so it's going to be a combination of sort of presentation up front so I can talk about kind of the, the history of the rights of nature movement and, and talk at it. So I am a psychologist, I'm not a lawyer. So I'm coming at this from, from an understanding of what are the assumptions that we've all bought into that we need to change in order to, to kind of make this a reality. And what are the consequences, the social consequences of that? Um, I'm also going to talk about um, my experience with the Seriaku people who are an indigenous people in the Amazon in Ecuador who went to visit three years ago and have been instrumental in um, setting up the rights of nature 
laws in, in Ecuador and I learned a huge amount from them. So I've got some and some videos of them that I'm, I'm going to share video interviews with them. Um, so we'll do sort of a more of an overview of what is the rights of nature and what needs to change in our psyches in order to like really take this in and take this seriously. And then in more in the second part of the workshop, we're going to get it will break out into groups and get more into each person's individual, like whatever city or t- county they're in get into some strategizing and some problem solving around how could you how could you bring this to your community um, and put people in touch with with whatever resources they need or that, that we can offer um, to be able to assist in that um, basically seeding more and more rights of nature uh, bills around the country I think we're all in probably very different situations with different laws that we have to kind of dig into and understand and um, I certainly don't have the answers to all of that, but can help guide people on sort of where to start, who to look for, for support, and, and yeah, how to think about it, basically. Well, our organization is called Community Roots. Uh, it's cmroots.com, and we are based in Asheville, North Carolina, but very open to working with groups and, and do have partners um, around the country. So certainly looking for other, other groups that are working on rights of nature. Uh, you know, the more of us that are connected together, and CELDEF is certainly a hub for that. We put people in touch with them as well. Um, but yeah, we are a small women-led, volunteer-led organization um, been doing this, as I said, for four years, focused on um, locally here in Asheville and in getting, we, we did one ballot initiative. We didn't quite get enough signatures. We're going to start again this summer and do it again. We need about just over 10,000 signatures. Um, so we're going to be running that. So we do have a fundraising campaign to to raise money to, to support that campaign, which essentially means paying our canvases who are going door to door getting signatures. And yeah, join the workshop if that's of interest to you or, or share it with people who are, are working on trying to conserve any piece of land anywhere, that there's a potential that the rights of nature is, is a tool to add to the box. It's not the solution, but it's it's you know it's a tool that can be added to other conservation efforts and and can be very powerful when it works the event is called rights of nature workshop you can find it on facebook under that name it is tomorrow friday march 19th at 3 p.m eastern time 